This is Katherine Cunningham, and you are listening to our Natural Intelligence Worldwide Podcast. To learn more about our partners, our vision, and mission, please listen to our pilot or go to naturalintelligence.com slash worldwide. Thank you for listening. Today, we have a collection of short interviews on the theme of climate action, including Christiana Figueres, Ruin Porson, and Akim Steiner. The theme of our Natural Intelligence Worldwide podcast today is the future, exponential action on climate change and a new deal with nature. It's time to realize the carbon-neutral, clean energy, zero-waste, naturally intelligent world we now visualize. We've reached a point in our evolutionary journey as a species where the growth and development moves we have made in the past 14,000 years since the agricultural revolution, while good for the time, now have caused us to stumble into a checkmate position with nature. Innovative technologies like the synthetic production of ammonia as a fertilizer allowed us to grow food at an industrial scale cheaper, easier, so allowed exponential population growth. At the time, 1932, the Haber-Bosch process was considered the most revolutionary technology in the agricultural sector and won a Nobel Prize for chemistry, making bread from air ammonia instead of enhancing wheat production with fertilizers from bird dropping in faraway places like Peru or nitrogen from the Atacama Desert in Chile, seemed a brilliant idea at the time. Innovative technologies, like the thousands of different petroleum-based plastics produced in our world, have allowed us to package, ship, store, and preserve food and other products for longer periods of time. These plastics make our consumption of food and products more efficient and sanitary, but we didn't consider at the time the full life cycle of these single-use packaging projects. So now, ecologists fear, if business continues as usual, we will have more plastics in the ocean by 2050 than fish. Innovative technologies like the coal-based electrification of cities, homes, and streetlights that extended the time for work, entertainment, and leisure into the night, or the combustion engines that allowed for cheaper, easier, personalized travel outside of one's local sphere, seemed a great idea at the time. But now we know that this century of carbon-polluting activities has exponentially impacted our global climate, and we need to swing the pendulum back to the center, aggressively sinking carbon back into the earth. So here we are, in Checkmate with Nature, And the question is, will we manage our existence on Earth in a new way that protects the integrity of the biosphere? Or will we continue as business as usual and reach the edge of an ecological cliff? At the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos, I was able to interview a few of my favorite people about our future and the way we need to play the game of life forward to thrive as a global society, living in harmony with one another and nature. These luminaries include Christiana Figueres, former Executive Secretary of the UNFCC, Akim Steiner, the Director of UNDP, the UN Development Program, and Brun Persson, who is a Secretary of State in the Ministry of Ecology, Sustainable Development, and Energy in France. Christiana Figueres contends that we are in a race with climate change and nature's picked up the pace So we now have to double down on our carbon emissions across all industries, across all sectors of society, across all walks of life, and exponentially decarbonize our economies. Akim Steiner stresses that we will need to become more intelligent now in redesigning a new economic system, a new deal with nature, 
that not only feeds and supports the 7.7 billion people on the planet, but supports the life system of our planet. Broom Person asserts that we need to now create a new society and that this society needs to be founded on a new nature-based value system and new ways of doing business. And these new ways of doing business must first consider what's best for nature and people. So let's hear what these visionaries have to say. This year in Davos, I think we have a very, very clear view of a race that we have going in front of us with two very clear participants in that race. One participant in the race is the race of increasing impacts, negative impacts of climate change across the entire world. I just spent 20 days. I just got off literally the boat from Antarctica, 20 days in Antarctica. And here in Davos, we have the Arctic base camp with all of the Arctic sciences. And I just spent 20 days with Antarctic scientists. So we have a very, very clear scientific, but also not just the scientific analysis and the scientific studies, but also all of us as just normal inhabitants of the earth also feeling and seeing and reading about the increasing frequency and increasing intensity of climate disasters around the world. Whether it is in the North or South Pole or anywhere in between, there is basically no area that is currently not being affected by climate change. So that race is on and science is very clear about that. The other participants in the race are actually the participants who are bringing the solutions to the space. And I am quite encouraged that this year in Davos, climate change, environmental impacts, social impacts, all of which are the same package, are very much front and center for the fourth year running in the survey that the WEF does before they start their meeting in Davos. Climate change has been up there at the top as the major threat. So we have understood that these two things are actually moving against each other and competing with each other to speed. Are we going to allow the negative impacts to win that race, or are we going to actually set our intent and our decision to have the solution space, which is very broad and deep, be the winners in that race? And that's the choice that we're making right now. So it's a very good thing that we're seeing this in Davos this time around. We're seeing leaders in the insurance companies. We're seeing leaders in the finance companies. We're seeing leaders in the energy companies who are coming forward to say, we know that we're in this race and we want to win it because it is our responsibility and furthermore, it is our economic opportunity. What I remember from the COP21 and the incredible movement that you created around not only the urgency but the heroism around doing the right thing and being able to say that we acted on climate change at the right moment to future generations, to our children, to our grandchildren, do you feel that we have that same momentum here at the World Economic Forum? I, I think we're on the cusp of developing that momentum. Now, sadly, that's coming because we're really at rock bottom now. We have mm. the latest scientific report, which is a report from the IPCC on 1.5 degrees that says very, very uncontrovertibly, there's no way that we could possibly allow temperature rise to go to 2 degrees, which was what we put into the Paris Agreement. So, in fact, the Paris Agreement or the targets of the Paris Agreement are already obsolete. Just four years after Paris, we now know, thanks to developing science, that two degrees is way too much. We now have to go to 
1.5, which was the aspirational goal of Paris. But now we know that has to be the actual target and no more than that. So that really does mean stepping up quite exponentially the efforts that are already underway. But fortunately, I do think we're, we're just about to turn the page. I think we have up until now read half the book on climate change and half the book was all the problems, all the barriers, all the challenges, all the damage that we're going to cause. Now we're in the middle of the book and we're just turning the page into the second part of the book, which is, and here is how addressing climate change is actually the biggest economic and social opportunity of this century. We're just beginning to understand that. We had understood that it was a threat, but we're just beginning to understand that while climate change is a threat, addressing climate change, decarbonizing our economies, investing into public infrastructure, accelerating uh, renewable energies, accelerating energy efficiency, modernizing transportation, that all of that is a huge opportunity. So we're just beginning to change that mental chip from the threat to the opportunity. And that is what is going to pull us forward, hopefully in time. And you mentioned exponential, exponential. exponential action to match the exponential exactly. change that's happening. Exactly. As we reach a tipping point in our Earth system's destabilization. It can no longer be incremental. It can no longer be linear. It has to be exponential solution creation because the damages are growing exponentially. So that's the race. We're in a race of two exponential paradigms that are competing against each other. And the good news is that you yourself and others within the scientific community, the business community have collaborated on solutions, created a real roadmap, taking us on this journey to, all right, we need to cut our carbon emissions significantly and we need to do it in an exponential way. What does that look like? The roadmaps are there. Actually, there are many roadmaps, perhaps too many roadmaps, but <laughs> it's very clear that whether it is on energy generation, transportation, buildings and cities, waste management, forestry and, and land use and industry and finance, if I didn't say that before, on all of that, we have to really exponentially grow into the decarbonized version of all of that, and we have the numbers on all of that. So it's not about having a map. I honestly, you know, we have understood the problem, we have been admiring the problem, we have been thinking through the potential solutions. It's time, time. to move actually into doing what we know we have to do. Nobody can say that they don't know what we have to do. It's time to move into it. Catherine Cunningham, we're here at the World Economic Forum in Davos 2019. I'm here with Akim Steiner, who is the new Secretary General for the UN Development Program, who's a former director of the UN Environmental Program, so really sits at the nexus of this environmental development challenge. And his first comment tonight was, you know, let's actually celebrate ourselves as this new environmental species who are actually also intensively human. And so my question is, are we really evolving as a species? Is this, is this what really is happening? And is that why it is so difficult, really, to make this transition? Um, does the state of the world require that we actually evolve and not just incrementally adapt? Look, the simple answer to this is that life is complicated. Life is complicated when you have to share a planet with 7 billion people. Life is much more complicated when you have... You know, millions of cars driving around, factories polluting our needs for food production, cutting down tropical forests, destroying biodiversity. We have to learn to become much more intelligent, 
much more sophisticated at managing our existence on planet Earth. And I think in that sense, environmentalists, and that was the point of making the remark this evening, have been at the forefront of opening the eyes to society about the risks of not changing the ways we essentially develop, develop our economies, develop our industries, our housing. And here we are at the beginning of the 21st century when you know humanity kind of thought a few years ago with all the technology and science we will become independent of nature's vagaries and the opposite is the case. The atmosphere is polluted, climate change is happening, we are dealing with the loss of biodiversity, the loss of fisheries in the oceans. We are actually changing the way this planet operates, the way it has operated for millennia and it is beginning to threaten our own existence. So. Let's thank environmentalists for being part of the voice, the science, the creativity, the entrepreneurship, the imagination, the innovation that is allowing us to think about the future energy with renewables, a world beyond plastic, mobility that does no longer require oil and gas. These are the solutions of the 21st century and they are part of this new deal for nature that is being called for because the world needs to find a different way to feed people, provide people with energy, an ever-growing number and yet preserve the life's support systems on this planet. And is it about really redesigning a system that's broken, that essentially redesigning well, a, a system It's a system that worked well for a while when we right. were fewer people, when nature seemed like cornucopia, but it clearly isn't anymore, and therefore you can call it redesign, reinventing it, evolving it. The basic message is doing the same thing as before is simply not a viable option. So that's why... Whether you're here in Davos, or whether you're in New York City, in, in Wall Street, or whether you are, let's say, an indigenous person in the Amazon of South America. We are all, in a sense, dependent on one another's responsibility and solidarity. And this is where we come back to the idea also of a world having to work together. A United Nations being part of the way in which humanity will cope with some of these changes. And that is part of the redesign. It's not to outcompete one another until the other side has no choice left. It's to figure out a way in which we can share water, atmosphere, resources, while at the same time helping each other through periods of drought, of catastrophe, of earthquakes. And that is the principle that actually unites us as people, as nations, and keeps us going. Most brilliant. Thank you okay. so much for your time. Perfect. I'm here with Bruin Poisson who is the new Secretary of State, Ministry of Ecology, Sustainable Development, and Energy in France. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. If it's really important that by 2030, we have 30% at least of the land and ocean protected, what is it gonna take? Do we, do we really, we're really looking at it, not just adaptation to a system, but actually a, an evolution of our culture, of our species, and a new nature revolution? Well, what it means is uh, building a new society. The challenge is doing that within the frame of 10 years. That's going to be a real challenge, but I think that's what it takes. What we need is two things. We need tools, new methodology and new ways of doing business. For example, we need all the private investments to shift massively from projects that are bad for the planet, such as, for example, coal-fired power plants, to projects that are good for the planet, such as, for, for example, solar plants. The money is available. We need $32,000 billion a year. So that's a lot of money to do the ecological transition in the world. That's a lot of money. The money is available. It's just in the wrong place. 
and we know how to bring it to the right place, we know the framework, we just have to implement it first. And second, what we need, I think, is talk to people's heart. What we need is really a new narrative. We need to make sure that values such as love, joy, nature, because that's the relationship between humanity and nature is about love and caring. We need to make that a central value of our society, of our political system. I know this may sound crazy, but I know this is the world and the society we are moving to. Now it's really difficult to do that because we are in a transition phase from ideas and ways of doing business and ways of organizing society that are like almost obsolete. They are from the 20th century. We need to move to the 21st century. So we need new values, new ways of doing business, and we can do that. And is this new structure, this new architecture, is it really just global or does it really have to be local? Can you speak to the importance of a global, local transformation? I think it has to be local. At the end of the day, I think people know what they want at the local level. They want to build projects together. They want social links. So I think we should really focus on the local level. That doesn't mean that the global framework will disappear. It doesn't mean that because we still need to collaborate. You know, our CO2 emissions in Europe are the CO2 emissions of China. The Chinese CO2 emissions are our CO2 emissions. So we still need a global framework. But we need to go back to solutions that are developed, created, implemented at the local level. So we need to give people a voice. We need to listen to them. We need to go back to the field. Davos should actually happen in all the small villages of France. That's what we need. That's what should happen. Do you feel that we have the right vision, the right orientation? Is our compass directed nature north or is nature as a theme? Is it integrated within the real conversations with the finance ministers? No. No. It is increasingly, but nowhere near what we need. So this is why I think we need to go back to people's emotion and we need to go back to the local level. Because then we will do the other way around. If we know what we want to do at the local level, if we have changed our values, then we know how we will use the financial system and business. We know what we're going to use it for. Now we're just doing the other way around. Finance works for itself and everybody has to adapt to that system. It's just crazy. We need to just switch the way we approach society, life, politics. Thank you for joining us every Wednesday and Friday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, where we'll post our interview for the day. You can find us at naturalintelligence.com and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you. Have a great day.